It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. There's this picture I keep thinking about, a picture of the way things used to be when it came to American foreign policy. It was taken back in 2015. The Iran nuclear deal had just been agreed to in Vienna. In this picture, then Secretary of State John Kerry is on a government plane with his lead negotiator, Ambassador Wendy Sherman. They're on their way home. They look relieved. They've got glasses of wine in their hands. We opened the bottle. We handed out plastic cups took a sip. That was our celebration. And immediately everyone on that airplane just passed out in exhaustion. I've been thinking about that photo of Ambassador Sherman, because in it, she's got the satisfied smile of someone who's just done something really difficult, almost impossible. We were humbled by the historic nature of this agreement. Nobody wants Iran to have a nuclear weapon. So I think we all understood the gravity of uh, what we had done, but also what was before us. You've said that during negotiations, the Iranians asked, they said, what do we do if another administration comes in and just blows this thing up? Because as you said, it wasn't a treaty. It was an executive action. And so any executive could change that action. So whenever the Iranians asked me that question, it was often, I would say back to them, how do we know that your government won't change? How do we know that you won't pull out of it? We have to make this deal as good as we possibly can so it is as durable as it possibly can be. And the fact that uh, Iran has complied with the deal for over a year, even after the United States, uh, President Trump withdrew from the deal, says something about the durability of the deal because it has lasted even after that withdrawal. Obviously, we're now at a much more difficult and much more dangerous point, but it actually was uh, quite durable under the circumstances. Right now, with that agreement she negotiated in question, with the United States tiptoeing to the edge of war with Iran, I wanted to talk to someone who tried to solve an international crisis like this one. Someone who might know a way forward. Did you expect to be where we are today? I hoped we would not be where we are today, but I didn't expect Donald Trump to be president of the United States either. Today on the show, we know how the Trump administration sees Iran. Ambassador Sherman is going to tell us how Iran sees us. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. 
Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Over the last week, the American standoff with Iran has escalated again and again. After explosions crippled two boats in the Gulf of Oman, the U.S. blamed Iran. A few days later, Iran shot down an unmanned American drone. By Thursday, President Trump seemed ready to authorize military action. But then he suddenly pulled back. He said he didn't want to take Iranian lives. So I asked Ambassador Sherman, does any of this give her a sense of relief? Well, it is quite an unusual circumstance if we are all depending on Donald Trump to save us from war. This is a president, in my view, who makes decisions from his gut, not from information, not from knowledge, not from history, not from thoughtful deliberations uh, with his national security team. Uh, So it is quite concerning how decisions get made in the White House or don't get made. And although the president said that he took the decision to pull back on the retaliatory strike in his view, uh, because all of a sudden he realized 150 people might die, the question is, why did he only know that or consider that 10 minutes before the possible strike? Where was the policy process, the briefings, the discussion uh, to appreciate what the risks were here? I cannot imagine that he agreed to these strikes without that kind of a briefing. It is, you know, absolutely would have been at the top of the list. So uh, that statement was breathtaking and extraordinary. And I assume he would have gotten that information whether he asked or not. Just here's what this means. Here's the consequence. Yes. Yes. So whether he didn't pay attention to it or whether he's just trying to add to the drama of his pulling back from the strike. uh, But in fact, uh, what it has done is made him look inept. Before last week's escalation, Ambassador Sherman was keeping in touch with Iran's foreign minister, Javad Zarif. He sat across from her at the negotiating table, helped create the deal that came to be known as the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. She says to understand Iran's perspective on everything that's happened since, it helps to understand Zarif. Foreign Minister Javad Zarif is a master diplomat. Uh, He is incredibly smart. Uh, He's uh, quite dramatic at times. There would be times during the negotiation where he would uh, sort of retreat to the back of the room, head in his hands, woe is me. Um, So he he was uh, quite entertaining at times, but a very serious man and um, trying to best represent the interests of his country. Tough negotiator. Um, He lived in the United States for 30 years. He had a lot of his education here, virtually all of it, here in the United States. He was the um, uh, ambassador to the United Nations for Iran for quite some time, uh, which is how many of us first got to know him. So he understands American media. He understands the American system. He's very media savvy. So he is a a formidable and talented uh, diplomat. I'm wondering if you can explain how we got here. I mean, we pulled out of the agreement you negotiated about a year ago, and tensions with Iran have been steadily ratcheting up. Can you explain why, from the Iranian perspective, from someone like Javad Zarif's perspective, why this makes sense? 
Um, most people think that Iran has no politics because it has a supreme leader. Uh, so the supreme leader must be supreme and make all decisions. In fact, Iran has quite complex politics. Um, it's not a democracy, even though it elects its president. It elects its president from a slate of candidates that is approved uh, by the supreme leader and a council that makes these decisions. Um, so it is not a, a full democracy in the way that we believe in democracies. The supreme leader always is balancing those that I would consider hardliners in their system, like Javad Zarif, and those that are hard hardliners who never wanted the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action because they owned Iran's economy, they owned the black market, they wanted to have freedom of action, uh, and they didn't want any Western presence uh, in Iran whatsoever. Can we go back? Can you can you distinguish for me between a hardliner and a hard hardliner? What's the difference in Iran? What's the difference in the U.S.? Well, in Iran, um, President Rouhani is a hardliner. He is a very conservative cleric. So often people talk about him as a moderate. And I suppose within his system, he may be more moderate, but he is a hardliner. He believes in the theocracy of Iran. He believes in Iran's uh, capabilities, but he is not a hard hardliner who uh, not only believe in the theocracy, but believe in uh, really uh, taking over the Middle East and having freedom of action directly and through Iranian proxies. Uh, This ascendancy of the hard hardliners in Iran, of course, is happening at the same time that the hard hardliners like John Bolton and Secretary Pompeo are on the ascendancy in terms of Trump's foreign policy. Uh, And so we have a sort of symbiotic escalatory ladder where um, those interests begin to predominate and not the interests of peace, security, and stability. Uh, I consider myself a hardliner. I want to make sure Iran does not have a nuclear weapon. I want them to stop their state sponsorship of terrorism, their human rights abuses, have Americans come home who are unjustly detained and imprisoned or missing in Iran. I want them to stop their malign behavior in the Middle East and stop threatening uh, our ally uh, and partner Israel. Um, But I believe that we can do that uh, largely uh, through diplomacy that is backed up by a credible threat of force, uh, because that can often serve diplomacy well. Uh, But What the president has done by withdrawing the JCPOA is to really constrain his choices. So what John Bolton and Secretary Pompeo have really designed here are very few choices for the president. If you withdraw from the JCPOA, if you ratchet up the sanctions, if you push away our allies, particularly Europe, uh, you are left with two choices. Either you keep the sanctions on forever or you take military action and risk an Arab-Persian war. You've talked, too, about the Iranian psychology here, where, you know, there's a particular way that they view the relationship with the U.S. And so for them, they see no other choice than to ratchet things up. Well, look, there is no trust between the United States and and Iran. Uh, I don't trust Iranians. They don't trust me. We did gain a mutual respect for each other and a better understanding of each other. But Iranians are superb negotiators. They see the entire landscape. They are complex negotiators, not just transactional, 
Uh, and the president uh, tends to be transactional. I either win or I lose. He doesn't see all of the dimensions of the chessboard uh, and how to define U.S. interests and achieve those U.S. interests. I'm interested to hear you say you have no trust there <laughs> because you spent months negotiating with the Iranians. You know, we have a very long history with Iran. Most Americans think that the tr- lack of trust emanates from 1979 uh, when the Iranian revolution took place and Iran took Americans hostage for 444 days. But it actually goes back before then in the 1950s uh, when Mossadegh was prime minister and was came to that position in a relatively democratic way. Um, he considered nationalizing the oil industry in Iran and the British intelligence, along with the American CIA, uh, deposed him and put in the Shah of Iran, who was an ally to the United States, uh, but a dictator and an oppressor in Iran, which led to the Iranian Revolution. So uh, Iran's history with the United States is a bad one. Uh, The United States history with Iran is a bad one. And it will take more than the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action to get us to a normal uh, diplomatic relationship. I mean, there's been reporting that some diplomats have been trying to encourage Iran to keep abiding by the nuclear agreement, even though the U.S. has pulled out of it. Do you see any hope for that still happening now? Well, the Europeans have worked extremely hard to try to create a what's called a special purpose vehicle, uh, sort of a barter system to try to get some trade and investment in Iran to keep the deal going. But they're having a very difficult time because the administration, the Trump administration, has made it clear that any company that makes use of this system will be sanctioned by the United States. And our economic power is quite profound. Uh, So Europe's efforts have kept this deal going uh, and Iran's uh, compliance uh, for over a year now. uh, But it is in great jeopardy. Uh, They're Uh, will be a meeting on the 28th of June in Vienna of all of the uh, partners to the agreement, except the United States. So the four other permanent members of the Security Council, plus Germany and the European Union, uh, to see if there's anything that can be done uh, to keep the deal together. Hmm. I read one analysis that said that what's going on between the United States and Iran right now is going to have to come to a head at some point. Do you believe that? Well, clearly, we are seeing mixed signals from President Trump. (laughs) On the one hand, he, you know, there's that old statement, you should walk softly and carry a big stick. Uh, I think he does it opposite, which is uh, to um, walk loudly and carry a little stick. Uh, And I, I think neither works in this instance. It is a much more complex situation. And until he gets a deeper Uh, and more strategic uh, plan in place to meet America's national security interests, uh, indeed, uh, we will continue to head to a very bad place. Yeah, you've said the Trump administration needs to put something on the table to basically reset the conversation with Iran right now, which to me, it just seems like the exact opposite of what someone like John Bolton wants to do. Yes, I'm sure that's true. Uh, The one uh, possibility here, we certainly saw President Trump in the North Korea situation 
put uh, the stopping of military exercises in South Korea on the table in great surprise to many people uh, to get his summit with Kim Jong-un. That didn't leak very much because he didn't have a strategy. He didn't have a plan. He didn't have a team in place at the time. Uh, and he didn't have a real way forward. He hadn't done all the consultations uh, that are necessary with partners and allies. And I fear that will be the same case here. Hmm. What do you say to people who say we just shouldn't be talking to the Iranians? We, you know, there, as you said, there's no trust there. Why should we be having these conversations? You know, long ago, the prime minister of Israel, Rabin, uh, said, I think he's, he's quoting others as well, that one does not make peace with your friends. You make peace with your enemies. So talking is fine, but you have to have a plan. You have to have a strategy. You have to know what your interests are, and you, know how, you have to know how you're going to achieve them. Ambassador Sherman, I'm very grateful for your time. Thank you. Wendy Sherman is a senior fellow at the Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. If today's show helped you figure some stuff out about Iran and what's going to happen there, we would really appreciate it if you went onto Apple Podcasts and left us a review. It helps people find us, but we also read them. So it's nice to hear from you. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. All right. Talk to you tomorrow. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.